Welcome to the Circle Stories Podcast, where we aim to explore the stories within, between, and around the various circles we inhabit in our lives. I'm talking today with uh, Mahan Seiler. Uh, thank you for joining me. And I wonder if we can start today with, with a, a check-in. Check-ins are good. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to participate with you if, if, uh, if you want, uh, since I'm putting you on the spot. Sure. But uh, where are you finding or experiencing joy or, or lifting up um, in your life right now? The, uh, this pandemic, you know, it's been so devastating to so many people. But for me, it's been a gift. Um, this forced solitude uh, has come at a good time in my life. Uh, I've finished writing a book I've been working on for a long time. That's an ending. And so the joy has been uh, the privilege of sort of reflecting on kind of where I am in my life. I'm 85. Uh, there's some things I think I'm going to let go of. Um, some things I want to live more deeply into. Uh, and then the spring, you know, I think for this pandemic to happen at spring, uh, I'm more present to the beauty. Uh, I think than I probably would have been if I was driving around. Hmm. But I walk. And, uh, and, and, uh, there's some pasture lands here. And, and so, you know, I've just, uh, experienced a lot of life and a lot of joy in the beauty around and, uh, still connecting through zoom with people. So right. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm isolated, but I'm not alone. So, uh, a lot of things are more vivid and clear because I'm not rushing around. I've been pretty busy. I'm in a number of groups, and so all of that I'm assessing. So um, for me, uh, my inner life, spiritual life, uh, time with Janice, my, I'm fortunate. I'm not alone. Uh, she's a partner. We celebrated our 62nd anniversary yesterday. Wow, congratulations. So, uh, so it's been good for us. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I think for me, I think it's it's the fact that I've been witnessing community still being able to not just function, but thrive, I think, um, despite this. I It looks different. It feels different. But I've been connecting with people that I haven't been connecting with before this. Um, and, and I think it's, it's put us all in a position where we, we have more time to do that. It's easy to say when you're before it was easy to say that we don't have time for this or, or that. And I think, um, this experience and what's been giving me joy is the fact that I've, I've been connecting with the community more. So it seems like than I was before this. Right. So, right. um, What's on the other side of that? What's what's getting you down right now? What's um, what's not life giving in your in your life right now? Uh, 
Well, you know, as I said, when I kind of turn inward, uh, uh, it's good when I look out uh, into the world, I'm just, my heart breaks over the suffering, particularly among, you know, the, the, the disparities are, are highlighted, kind of unveiled. It's kind of like we know they were there, but just it's clearer now that people uh, who have less privilege, uh, who, who live from paycheck to paycheck, uh, on one hand, lots of those folks are being asked to carry the brunt of risk in serving and 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 yet they don't have uh you know many are losing their jobs they don't have backups uh, there's more people of color are experiencing more uh of the disease i mean the virus and so you know i, I think when i and i i don't think that's i, I will I, yeah that's so painful uh so it's dark, but I think out of that's going to come maybe some new ordering that's more uh, equitable, more fair. I don't know, but no, oh, I think, you know. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned I, that. And I'd like to talk more about that, what, what might come out of this and how we might facilitate some of that change. Um, but I guess for me to wrap this up, this check-in up, um, I guess what, what gets me down mostly is this, this seemingly inability for us to communicate with each other. And I know that was just as prevalent before the virus and before the, the quarantine, but if possible, it seems like it's entrenched our, our inability to communicate in certain ways. We're, we're even more reliant on our the bubble that we live in, I think. And um, to me, that's, that's just been, just been really soul sucking, I guess, that, that we aren't, it doesn't seem like in a lot of ways we're coming together in, in, in this crisis and like we might have in the past. And I'd like to, to speak to you a little more about, you know, events in the past that might've brought the country together and how, this may be similar or different than that. Um, right. We can address that later. What do you draw on for your, from your life experience that you think is helping you or has prepared you for, for this strange time we're in? Well, there's a lot of, of course, loss. Another way to talk about uh, the pain that's uh, so prevalent is it's some kind of loss of, you know, loss of income, loss of connection, loss of community. Uh, and I've had losses in my life, uh, uh, quite a few. Uh, there was time I had to uh, uh, leave a position. Uh, I just couldn't do it. Uh, it was just overextended and burned out. Uh, about three years ago, we lost our son through suicide, mm -hmm. uh, which is the huge, you know, the large, largest loss. And I've been living from, with that and learning from that. 
so uh, I, I think I've lived long enough to experience a, a lot of disappointments and loss and failures that uh, make me know there's life out of this. You know, there, there's learning, there are gifts, there's grace in all of it. And uh, I know that's true. <laughs> I know, you know, I've been there, I've experienced it. So I, I don't despair. Uh, but uh, so I think uh, one advantage of living a long time, you, you deal with a lot of grief, and a lot of disappointment, and a lot of hurt. Uh, but uh, I think that's the way evolution works. So that's that's what comes to mind. What about your twenty-five-year-old self? What would what would twenty-five-year-old uh, Mahan uh, be thinking about this this time and this? situation uh, I think I'd be, I'd be pretty anxious uh, yeah. I think uh, up to 25 life pretty much went my way uh, I was fortunate to have lots of opportunities lots of adventures uh, we just married uh, so I was uh, you know optimistic uh, I hadn't experienced major failures up to that point, and uh, I tend to be kind of a hopeful, optimistic person anyway. But I think uh, I would have just been uh, devastated, yeah. you know, or just my goodness, you know, the the, the ground <laughs> the ground has shifted, and. Uh, uh, what's going to happen? I think I'd feel a lot more uncertainty, uh, a lot more anxiety. Okay. But I think at that time, too, I've always had relationships, friends, uh, mentors. So I would have reached toward them, you know. I don't think I would be paralyzed. I don't think I'd be paralyzed. You had a community and a group around you that you could draw from, draw right. strength from. And right. Yeah, I've always worked at that and uh, our final life in relationships of uh, meaningful relationships. Yeah. Hmm. And sure. I've, you talked about a men's group. I, I think I've always had a men's group, uh, one sort or the other. It's It's been a great, great yeah. thing yeah. for me. Um, yeah. Now, you, you probably have 25 year olds in your life. And, and I'm talking to Kelsey and Jordan from the circle and, and uh, 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 people of that age. And what would you tell them? Yeah. Uh, it, uh, the, the, the Paul series I'm doing for the circle, uh, uh, one of them is in that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think I would well listen to them and, um, uh, Try to get a sense of what that's like. I've got grandchildren that age, and and, uh, and I, I'm in conversation with them. We there's one in it's 27 who's in Boston, and we talk about every three weeks. And the un understanding is she brings a question, I bring a question. So okay, so we we have already in place a really good relationship, and then another grandchild who is going to be married 
in a couple of weeks and had to postpone it, but they happened to be here. They had to get out of New York. Mm-hmm. So they come out, they're coming out tomorrow and uh, we get to talk about their life and their marriage and their relationship. And they get to experience me in a different way uh, than they have. Uh, so I think I would talk to them about, um, you know, what, what do they draw on? What, 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 what strengthens them internally? Uh, what gives them life? What gives them faith? And then I talk to them about their relationship. You don't go through this by yourself. And I think I talk to them about who are their mentors. And you said that's you know, something. Are not necessarily living, but who are their ancestors? Who are their older elders or mentors or teachers that do have life experience that they could benefit from? And that's something you said you you were able to draw upon um, in your younger time yeah. too. But I think at my age, at, at twenty five, I didn't have appreciation for the ancestor mm-hmm. you know, that, that you can draw on those who were gone, but they lived life. They lived, you know. So uh, I'm more and more now as I'm an ancestor in training, kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, that there's a lot of uh, wisdom from from our ancestors. I mean, like my dad went through the depression; it just traumatized him. He was he was young, about 25, when he started a business on the depression. Mm. So he had dementia, Alzheimer's, died from it. And it was interesting to me that the last stories he would remember are about the depression. So I wish I had a wish I had explored more what right. helped him in that time. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Your your parents went through the depression. Your grandparents went through times of of upheaval and and turmoil as well. What did they talk about in terms of getting through those years and? What did they use for, I mean, I think community was very big back then. Did you get that sense as well? I Maybe think not. so. I, you know, I, I wish I, I mean, like my mother uh, lost her parents and younger son, a uh, younger brother in a train accident when she was 12. You know, mm-hmm. so I didn't know my grandparents. Okay. Uh, but I talked to her a little bit about how they coped. There was family. But I think today, a 25-year-old is more likely to find relationships where they can be vulnerable and talk. At least uh, in my dad's generation, you stuff it down and go on. It wasn't something that they talked to you guys about. No, uh -uh, uh -uh. like it's over. Mm -hmm. Why talk about it? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's pretty characteristic of that generation, but it's certainly true of my generation. My p- grandparents or parents, that's different now. You know, I think now in our family and I think maybe in our culture, it's more likely you talk about it. You, you get in therapy or you get with friends and you, you know. 
that's true. I think I found that about the millennials as well. Is they're more likely to be vulnerable in their relationships. Uh huh. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. And then, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and I think one of the things I experienced as millennials, my grandchildren, we got six. There's not the uh, energy of against their parents that I, I don't know how, I don't know if I can generalize on it, but I can own that. In other words, I spend a lot of energy differentiating from my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of had programs for me and, and I had to spend a lot of energy to, to, to resist. But I find these millennials curious about older people, you know, and, and they are as eager for conversations as I am. And they also are in charge of their life sooner. Mm. You know, they're taking gap years and they're doing this and, and in charge of their education, their learning right. at 18 right. Right. or 19. Whereas I had to go through graduate school to kind of say, okay, I'm on my own, mm. you know, so huge differences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm so. just struck by, by their wanting a relationship with an older person like me, whereas I didn't, I didn't know how valuable that would be when I was 26, 25. And you may have not felt that it was something that they would have been open to. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. So if, if your parents were shaped by the depression, what were some of the bigger events um, in your past that, that have helped shape you? Was the civil rights movement a big period yeah. of, of growth for you? It, it was indeed. Let me see if there's one before that. I think that, that that's the first liberation movement I felt. Yeah, I was at the end of that involved in some marches, but King was really important. And, uh, and then I think uh, after about 10 years in our marriage, the feminist movement, surfaced and Janice and I had to really work on a different marriage that's more partnership mm -hmm. uh, it was huge and then I got involved in the gay uh, gay liberation movement as a pastor so I think these movements for a different kind of power in relationship is the common theme of uh, and uh, as one person said, you know, he feels like he was Pharaoh to everybody's liberation movement. You know, and that's true for me, being white, you know, mm. privileged, male, educated, American, you know. And so I kind of see my life as being confronted and changed around partnership, you know, the move toward partnership. Right. But uh, how hard it is, uh, how hard that's been for me to come off of prison. Maybe we didn't use the same language back then, but you, you, you learned how to be an ally very early. In uh, yeah. The women's I, I movement think or so. the, the gay movement. Uh, uh, but I, I don't think, I, I think that's true. I think I was pretty naive about how eager they were for ally and, and how to do that. Uh, uh, I, I think I wasn't aware of how deep the racism was in me. You know, it's kind of like we can be equal. We can, 
you know, I didn't have the, how embedded the trauma is from generation to generation. I was pretty naive about what could be accomplished in 20 well, years, 10 un years. Yeah, unfortunately, that's probably still true for a lot of um, white males, even today, yeah. I would yeah. say. That, yeah, yeah, yeah so I keep it hasn't learning. changed. Yeah, I'm in a elders group that I helped start that's powerful, a good mixture of, of gender and race. And, and I'm just still learning a whole lot about, you know, how unconscious my bias has been and so forth. So, yeah, I think that's a good thing you raised that so right. I think these social movements in my lifetime have been uh, many places of transformation for me. Let's take a break. Well, I've got some pictures Just some old black and whites Everything was so simple Or maybe I romanticize But it still makes me smile Looking back on those days when Black and white and the gray eagle flies And I'm riding along To the land of my father's father Singing the song my grandmother used to sing About a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck And I'm home Well now there's a sidewalk Where the path used to be Where we planted a sapling I can climb in the tree I find I stand taller With my feet on the land that my grandfather worked with his hands And the gray eagle flies And I'm riding along to the land of my father's father Singing the song my grandmother used to sing About a bushel and a peck And a hug around the neck And I'm home Once in a while I like to stop by And make sure that the place looks okay I stand on the steps With a tear in my eye And I'm wishing that I could just stay So I'll take a few pictures With my dad's 35 Of my grandparents' home they lived most of their lives And a few in the garden Where their roses still grow And I'm hoping that somehow They know And the gray eagle flies And I'm riding along To the land of my father's father 
singing the song my grandmother used to sing about a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck and I'm home finally So this isn't really a social movement. It's a biological necessity. It's a it's something that's affecting all of us. And and you pointed out earlier that it, it's affecting the um, disenfranchised and uh, people of color more. But how do we turn this into let's not go back to normal? A lot of what I've been hearing from people a lot smarter than me is, hey let's use this as a point in time right to say you know if normal was people without health care and right uh people with you know three jobs and minimum wage doesn't even you know pay your rent let alone any other bills you have is there a way we can use this time in our yeah. in our lives to effect some change and how oh, do we I, go about I, doing that i i feel that strongly I, I do. I uh, I think of different ways to say it, but but I'm I'm trying to listen to the seers, those the the prophets, those who have a gift of seeing the bigger picture and the movements. And I think one way of saying it's not others, but one way that uh, Charles Eisenstein is one seer I I read. And his way of saying it is that for 300, really more than that, we've been living out of the story of separation. In other words, in other words the assumption is we all live out of stories. We all live out of narratives. And the narrative that's been so prominent is the story of separation. That is, you know, that, that we're separate selves. And, uh, uh, and, and our job is to make it in this world. Uh, it's competitive. Uh, you compare. Uh, uh, there's going to be some dominating the others. You got to win, you know. So if I see that, that it Mayhem or Carl is, are just separate, separate individual personalities, then that's going to lead to competition and comparison and domination and and so for centuries we've had some dominating others you know and one person i read walter winks calls it the domination system and it's held together by violence of some kind 
I wanted, yeah, I wanted to get to that. I, I read your, the myth of redemptive violence, um, a reframe that you wrote in 2018. Oh, I did. Yeah. I looked it up. I, I, that is an amazing essay and I encourage everybody to look it up, but just as an aside, I haven't read Walter Wink yet. Can you recommend, um, one yeah. of his things that I yeah. can start? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd be glad to cause <laughs> about a month ago, I got this voice in the middle of the night and said, go back to Wink as a way to make sense of what's happening, you know, because I think in a crisis, you tend to forget what you know, you know, <laughs> so, so I've gone back to him. Uh, he did a trilogy okay. uh, uh, called, called Unmasking the Powers and Naming the Powers. But the third one is the one that's just, I read often, is so packed, and that's called Engaging the Powers. Okay. Engaging the Powers. Uh, but yeah, so the assumption there is that we live in these larger systems and that this domination system, our story of separation, is just the air we breathe. You know, it's just, we grow up in it, we're conditioned in it and that the radicalness of Jesus and Gandhi and King and others uh, from the East, uh, Buddhists, you know, talk about interbeing, that there's another narrative, the story of interbeing, where we really are not separate. You know, uh, I, I, as one African phrase, you know, I, I am because we are, you know, I, 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 you can't, separate you know we're differentiated we're different personalities but the hope is that we live in collaboration live in partnership live in shared power and all the liberation movements are about power so i think there's further breakdown of that's happening of the story of separation institutions that are built on domination and i think there'll be a big push to get back to that because those in power want it back. Yeah. But I think the opportunity is, is for a movement and more and more people saying, no, we don't want to go back to that. We want to use this occasion to further form relationships and institutions and structures that are about partnership. And some of those are in place, you know, Circle of Mercy and other places are really mostly trying to live into that sense of interdependence and community and communion. So how to, you know, how to, I'm looking for the leaders. I'm, I want to, I'm looking for the leaders who are going to help us lead into that. And at my age, I can't be a leader. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, don't have the energy and the opportunity but I can support those who are risking in that direction. If you had to, to name a couple of leaders that, that you might be looking for to lead us, um, would Reverend Barber come to mind? Yeah, or, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And yeah. he's so rooted in that story, you know, and and it, it, it but it's not conventional he's also into interfaith you know mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. saying we have these story but it's a window into this partnership story 
yeah. shalom, or the Hebrew would say. And uh, no, he's one. Uh, this Charles Einstein is one who's not. Uh, he's he's spiritual. He's faith person, but he's not tied to the any tradition. You know, I think there's some. I work still with clergy, and uh, and the ones I work with, like Chan, uh, like Nancy and Missy. They're leaning in that. They're, they're, you know, they might talk about it a little differently, mm -hmm. but they're not tied. Uh, they're looking for a, a partnership way of uh, being church. And uh, uh, I think there may be more openness to them, people looking for communities or a men's group or, you know, all of these are about a different kind of power. Right. 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 Uh, and and our, as men, we're we're trying to live into a different kind of power. So I think there are lots of grassroots movements. I don't. I guess I don't look for a lot of hope from the uh, top right. because they're invested and they have to be beholden to people who help them get to office. You know, I hope somebody like Biden wins and he can be a bit of an elder. One, if he can bring into his circle the younger ones right. who are right. more courageous and clear, whether he can do that or not, uh, it would be a wonderful gift. Uh, but I, I, I just think I'm amazed at how many grassroots organizations are about justice. So I, 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 I feel hopeful, you know, but I'm also, it's easier for me to say that. I'm very comfortable, you know, but how to be an ally to that. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot about um, reframing the, the dialogue. What I come up a, a, a lot against is, and I, I alluded to it earlier in my, in my check-in, but I don't know how to reframe this in terms of how do I get people that are not in my bubble to even engage in dialogue. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. Um, we aren't talking to each other. Right. Do you have any suggestions for us on how we can just start to talk to each other in a more constructive way and in, in a more loving and productive way? Well, Carl, I think you're demonstrating it right now. Um, in other words, it seems to me that all social change or the, this this story of interbeing that we are being summoned to in evolution, I think, uh, or else we destroy ourselves. It all begins with conversation. I think we underestimate just what you and I are doing here. You know that 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 to ask people in our range and try to I guess one of the things that um, uh, Brian Stevenson says is about proximity, you know, is to put yourself in proximity mm. to people who are different than you are and look for opportunities. And then just ask these questions, you know, how's this time for you? What's helping you? You know, and, and not, not try to win them over, but engage in conversation and and learn from them but also what's 
what gives them hope? What gives them hope? You know, the questions you're asking me. Uh, but I think it means putting ourselves in those kind of places where these conversations. Yeah, yeah. You really, you can't have the conversation unless you're in proximity. That's right. Proximity. I love that word, proximity. Yeah, that is a that is a great word. You know, what I envisioned for this podcast and what I was hoping to do before COVID was to um, take storytellers. Um, you know, Gareth and Brian started five three one. Right. And the the seventh story with him, you know, that he wrote with Brian and McLaren. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think it was his vision and I don't want to speak for him, but also that, that if we tell stories to each other, we can find commonalities within people that, that we would normally think we wouldn't have anything in common right? through storytelling. And right. so I, that was my uh, original intent. Um, with this podcast was to to have somebody come in and tell a story or to record a story that they told it at, at an event and then just dig deeper about it. And um, I think, I, I think you're on it. I mean, I well, think that's the way it's the way it happens. And uh, I totally agree. I mean, when you, when you hear a story, is it, you take something different than the person sitting next to you right. from it. You might take right. something different from it because you're applying your own life experience to what you're hearing. Right. And when you're hearing a story, we can go back to proximity. You're there with that person hearing right. that story and right. experiencing that story with them. And it's a gift to that other person because already I've learned something about myself. I didn't, I hadn't named. Exactly. Yeah. You see, so I go away, James. Exactly. I, I, um, back when we were able to go out, I, I, I haven't missed a, a Monday night. We have those meetings, you know, once a month where there's five stories, three songs in one community. And I, I, I come away from those just, um, my cup is full, I guess is the best way to, to describe right. it because right. it doesn't matter who is telling the story or what the, what the theme is for that night. I'm going to take something away from that that, exactly. that I didn't have before and I'm going and, to grow. And I think it's so wise to, for me at least, to think of, to the assumption is that we live out our stories. We all got stories. And so the one I'm particularly interested in these last years is the story that aging people tell themselves. There's a story. And the culture has a story. And the stories are mostly impotent. Mm. You know, like the story of he's put out the pasture. That's a story of aging. You know, your usefulness is, we don't all expect, you've been a thoroughbred, but now you're put out the pasture. Wow. Or the story of you worked hard, now you get to play. Mm. or the story of I'm going to work till I die. I know a friend right now who's just, that's kind of his story. Mm. And I'm saying the, there, there are other stories. And one is the story of being an elder. And that's the story that you still contribute in a different way. Absolutely. You know, 
And I'm hoping that in time, it may be a generation that we can recover in our cultural story, the anticipation of elders, you know, that we call them forth. But right now, that's not generally the case. You know, you go to retirement and, and the idea that, oh, you may enter, you may be entering your most fruitful, contributing time in your life. The access you have with children and grandchildren and in the community, whatever. So I love that, 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 you know, Gareth and Brian and others, uh, uh, you hear Nancy a lot that we're all living out of a story and 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 we and I believe we're living in a larger story when you think about the Christian story but there are other stories but that's the story that's claimed me and it gets me out of myself it gets me into other metaphors and other stories and, and community Exactly. And those stories are conflicting with those that are coming from, from the consumerism, from the. Exactly. That's story. right. It, so, it sabotages that story. Living back out. To Wink. Back to Wink. It's part of the, it's part of the uh, uh, domination free. Right. Story. Right. But you did express um, a little hope earlier um, in our conversation that, that the young people are looking towards their elders. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. I, th I think it's true that I would never have had a conversation with my grandparents. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it, it was done. I, I would have never have sat down with them and, and asked that, you know, we were the kids that were playing on the floor or we were the kids that were supposed to be quiet and until right. spoken to. Right. Um, respect your elders, but don't bother your elders was, was the message I think we yeah, got. That's right. I did too. And but that's changing. Good. That's changing. Good. Because uh, and it needs to change. And uh I mean I think it it's slow going, but I think I mean I'm just over I'm blown away that my grandchildren want to know what it's like for me to be old. Oh. You know, they, that they're interested. <laughs> well, I think they see a lot of wisdom and and experience there, and, and boy, we'd we'd be we'd be dumb not to draw upon it. But I would never think of asking my grandparents. No, I didn't have grandparents, but right, right. older people. You know, yeah. I think it started with my generation. That's a hopeful change. I don't think it's just my experience. I think that's in the air now, and. And, and I think it, you know, take a long time. But that evidently in indigenous cultures, the elder was a stage that you assume you would get to. Right. You know, right. like uh, I'm a child, I'm young adult, I'm older adult, and I get to be an elder. Or, or, but that's not in us. That's not in our as an American story. I was going to say, I think it's a cultural um, deficit uh -huh. of the American experience is that we don't right. um, have the multi-generational interactions that, right. that we And I think that largely, you know, it's an overstatement maybe, that our culture is pretty adolescent. 
So I think to be an elder means you need to go through these other stages of maturity. Just to be old doesn't mean you can be an elder. Sure. You can be an adolescent, aging person, egocentric, fighting it all the way. Well, we don't have any examples of that in, in our government, do we? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, uh, anyway. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I've loved, it's given me a lot of life uh, uh, to uh, have the privilege of being old and, and to work with some other older people around what are the gifts we have to give. Well, and, uh, I'm in a, a group of I mentioned elders who our focus is the educational racial gap in education. And uh, they all been leaders in the community. And, and so we're learning a lot from each other and still, still trying to figure out what's unique about our gift to give, you know, others are working on this as well. So we're, it's new ground. It's it's an experiment. New for us anyway, in our in our yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know you you have a other engagement. Um thank you for, for talking with me. Thank uh, you, Carl. Thanks um, for inviting me. Thanks for listening. Please check out our show notes for this and other episodes at circlestories.org While you're there, you can leave a comment, browse the archived episodes, recommend a conversation we need to have, subscribe, like, and review. Break Music was provided with permission by David Lamott. Find him and links to his catalog at davidlamott.com Show Music, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Music by Ada R. Habershon, arranged by Randa Kirschbaum, and performed by Dr. Jennifer Wilson. Don't try and follow us Circle Stories on social media because, well, I just don't have time. C.S. Lewis said, The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are.